You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Straight off the bat, uh, I, I, I don't do this very regularly. In fact, I think this is the first time. But um, this book has just really revolutionised my ideas around money. Um, Rach and I have completely restructured our, our finances around some of the wisdom that is written in the, this book. It's completely uh, based on the principles that we find in Scripture around money. Uh, it's written by Paul DeYoung, who's the pastor of Life Church in New Zealand. Um, I highly recommend getting it and reading it. It's called God, Money and Me. Um, a, a lot of the things that we've been talking around um, with this series in all, or kind of all three weeks of it, uh, have kind of been seeded uh, from reading different parts of, of this book and then going and searching scripture to see what it, it says on the things that he brings up and really letting God begin to stir and change and shift the way we see money uh, in our world. Uh, and so I really recommend uh, you trying to find it. Um, it is difficult to get your hands on. You have to order it from New Zealand. Um, so unfortunately you can't get it in Australia, but it is worth it if you can get it. Uh, I think you can get it on uh, digital if you're like an audio book person. Um, go for it. With that being said, and, and being that I've already shared uh, kind of my key scripture this morning, uh, I want to kind of dive right in and, and remind you, maybe if you weren't able to be here last week, we, we've started a series on money. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you can think, well, that's a bit too practical for church, isn't it? Uh, and I would totally counter with, uh, I actually think that sometimes uh, in church we can, we can teach and, and we can uh, extract and dive really deep into some amazing revelation in Scripture, but it is so deep uh, that we actually are able to negate the need to uh, apply it in our lives because it sits at a certain level of our, our, our spirit or our mind, and, and it's because we don't really understand how to apply it, we kind of get out of being able to apply it, right? Uh, but that's different with money. When we're talking about the subject of money, we're really talking about something that is really practical and difficult to kind of get away from what God says about it. It's probably one of those series that we, we go to in church where we come in prepared to maybe allow Scripture to make us a bit uncomfortable. Uh, it's where, uh, you know, we, we should always be willing to let Scripture come and separate our ideas from God's ideas. Um, and, and begin to do a transforming work. Scripture tells us um, that the important thing is, is whether we really are a new person. Uh, and sometimes I think, you know, how much am I allowing Scripture and the thoughts in Scripture and the ideas and, and what God's truth says about So how much am I letting that actually change me? Uh, or am I just sitting going, oh, that is good, and then, and then walking away? So hopefully, as we progress through this series, uh, you're going to find it's incredibly practical to begin to see some change in your world around what God says in His Word about money. And uh, I want to honor Pastor Keith. What an incredible word last week, uh, unpacking some revelation around the tithe. Come on, we, let's give him a round of applause. I tell you, Pastor Keith, uh, we were talking earlier this week. He said he's been preaching weekly for what, almost 30 years. Is that what it was? 38 years preaching week in and week out, and he said to me, I feel like I'm getting more revelation than ever before. And um, that, that doesn't happen 
It doesn't just happen. Uh, Pastor Keith puts in incredible time, uh, incredible effort. He digs and digs and digs and digs until he finds one nugget you know, that he can bring. And, and we don't always see the background digging, but I tell you, uh, we are privileged and blessed to have a senior pastor who after 38 years is still digging for fresh revelation, who's still passionate about pulling out fresh truth out of the word. And uh, we should never, ever um, you know, take for granted the quality of teaching that Pastor Keith brings to this platform. So... Uh, I just want to honour him, our senior pastor. And uh, introduce myself for those of you who are visiting uh, with us today. My name is uh, Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife and I have the privilege of leading our awesome creative team. Uh, We're pretty chuffed. They're awesome. And uh, we're believing that they are going to go to new uh, places this year and hopefully uh, create opportunities for you guys uh, to enter into some incredibly tangible encounters with a God who is real and a God who loves you. Uh, So I got the privilege this morning of speaking about money. And interestingly enough, um, there are about, and, and this, this is totally uh, plagiarized from the book, but there are about 215 verses on faith. I did not count them. Um, there are 218 verses on salvation, and uh, there are 2,058 verses on stewardship and accountability with money. So uh, if you do want to have a conversation later about the, the uh, relative nature or the relevant nature of talking about money, I'd, I'd love to unpack that a bit further with you. Um, but too often, I think we do steer away from the real practical. I hate reading scripture where it speaks like straight to my situation, like, like that scripture where it says, stop telling coarse jokes. Ah, you can't get away from that, you know? Like, that's, that is hard to kind of super spiritualize and be like, well, I don't know how to apply that, so I'm just going to not have to wear that one. No, it's good to dig into those, those unavoidable black and white uh, parts of Scripture that actually go to work on us. You know, some, sometimes Scripture hugs us. Sometimes Scripture uh, is the chisel uh, for the marble sculpture of our lives. And uh, this series, I tell you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a chisel, so prepare yourselves. Ecclesiastes 10.19 says, money gives everything. Let that settle. Read it for yourself. Uh, Money gives everything. You see, here's the thing. Money says to debt, I can free you. Money says to vision, I can release you. Money says to time, I can direct you. Money says to need, I can help you. Uh, the problem is, from time to time, we, we, we get this mindset that money is somehow evil, that money is somehow bad, that having money is bad, that we should live poor and we should live uh, so that no one thinks, oh, they're a bit rich to be a Christian, um, um, and, and that money somehow has this completely negative connotation to it. And, and I, I sometimes wonder if that's because, uh, like a lot of Christians do, uh, we misquote Scripture. Okay, because we actually only hear it on Sunday. We don't bother reading it Monday to Saturday. And, and so sometime between, between Sunday when we quote it to someone on Friday, uh, there's a couple of little words that have twisted around in our brain. We don't realize and we quote it and it's wrong. Uh, that, would be, that would be rectified if we read our Bible uh, more than just once a week. But we misquote the scripture 1 Timothy 6.10, which, which does not say that, that money is the root of all evil. That is not what it says. Uh, if, if that's how you have quoted it, you've stripped away three very important words. Uh, at the start of the sentence, it says, the love of money. 
is the root of all evil. So actually, the root, and the root is always love, uh, the root uh, of our relationship with God should be love, uh, the root of, of our, our, our forgiveness is, is, is found in, in the love of Christ. The, 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 the root, we should always look for the root, right? And if the root uh, is, is the love towards Christ, then we're on the right path, but if the root of our love is towards something else, then it's not a good thing. Uh, the root indicates a lot. And, and so it is the, the love of money, if that is at the root, then, then it causes us to use money incorrectly. See, money itself is amoral, which means it, it's, it's neither good nor bad. It's, it's, it's a resource. It's like time. You wouldn't say that time is evil. Uh, it's like energy. Energy isn't evil. No, they're resources given to us, supplied to us, provided to us, uh, and then what we do with it, what we then attach to it, uh, gives it quality. Um, and, and, and so we need to realize that money is a resource given to us for a purpose. Um, and, and here's the thing. We will serve whatever we love. Matthew 6.24 and Luke 16.13 both talk to us about this, this dichotomy between love, serving, money, and God. Okay? You cannot serve both God and money. That's because you cannot equally love both God and money. One has to take precedence. I once heard a preacher say, uh, as long as God is number one, he doesn't mind what's number two. I don't know that I fully subscribe to that, um, but I do know that if God is number one, he's in the right place. And if anything else is number one, then that's in the wrong place. And, and this is it's very important because what we serve will dictate how we make our decisions. So if, if you are wondering, well, do I, does money serve me or do I serve money? I think I, think I serve God. What the, I don't know. Here's a very simple test. The last life decision that you made, big decision, you're moving states or, or something like that, um, or changing jobs or, or whether or not you're purchasing something, or, or which question comes first? Where has God called me or what can I afford? It's a very simple question. Is this decision being dictated by God and my relationship with him, or is this decision being made by money? That will indicate which one you serve. It's awfully quiet in here, all right, guys? You can be responsive. You know, you can, you can throw out an amen every now and again. It's all right. But here's why the tithe is so great, right? Because the tithe is so practical. It's such a practical way to automatically go, eh, God's number one. It's, just, it's, just, it's a, such a simple decision. It's such a simple act that we can do regularly to ensure we continually uh, are deciding that no, money is not going to make my decisions. God is going to make my decisions and I'm going to do one thing week in and week out to make sure that my finances come in alignment with the fact that God is my number one and I'm going to do the tithe because that's going to ensure that positionally my finances are correct and God is going to make my decisions, not my money. I'm not going to look at them and go, I can't afford the tithe. I'm going to tithe and go, now God's got my back. All right? That's why we need to learn to love the tithe. You see, Pastor Keith unpacked this thing that the tithe is not ritualistic. It's not, it's not rote. It's not by law. It's out of relationship. It's about love. It's about position, which is all the things that, that money will try to, to kind of get into, try to get into that position. But the tithe keeps us in right alignment. But today, I really want to unpack some revelation around uh, the idea of generosity, okay? 
that using our resource to be a blessing. Um, I feel like Pastor Keith nailed the tithe, and although I'm sure we'll continue to, to reference it, because for me it's like it's the foundation, like we can't move beyond that. Uh, I love it. I'm going to give you a sneak peek of the can of conversation next week, but Graham says this awesome line. Uh, I start talking about investing, is don't bother investing if you're not tithing. I was like, oh, ouch, um, but so good, right? Because there's no use looking for God to bless something if you haven't bought your entire resource under his sovereignty. But I do want to be clear that when we talk about giving, uh, what we're talking about is, is a, it's a term uh, I, I like to call seeding. Okay, we're, we're seeding. We're, uh, we're, we're recognizing that the money we have been given is actually seed. Okay, the, the money that comes into our life is seed that we hold in our hands. And we're talking here about when we give, when we plant seed and, and bring that element of our finances into alignment with the, with the universal kind of principle in Scripture that what we sow, we will reap. That when we sow a seed, we can expect a harvest, all right? There is, there is an incredible blessing, an incredible principle that comes on the back of sowing seed in the right place. We can expect a harvest. If you're in this place and you're not used to being told you're allowed to expect blessing to come into your life, I'm here today to tell you, you are allowed to expect a harvest. As long as you are seeding correctly, as long as you are tithing first to bring everything else you do under alignment with God's sovereignty, as long as that's in place, then when you seed, you're allowed to expect that one day that's going to come back to you in the form of a harvest. That is a principle right through Scripture. You will reap what you sow. Now, with that being said, Pastor Keith did unpack tithing using this, this cool thing called the law of first mention. And uh, I was like, you know what? Um, learning to, to, to harness my, my gift. And, and so I'm going to continue in that vein. I'm going to look into the law of first mention of blessing in relationship to humankind. And uh, I thought if I go back there, I, I bet God is going to unpack some foundational revelation uh, that is going to help break open uh, this idea in people's, people's lives. And, and I arrived at Genesis 1. Uh, couldn't get much further towards the beginning than that. Uh, there's not much mentioned before that, to be honest. There's pretty much uh, the earth was void, let there be light, everything else, and then, man, you're blessed. Okay, it's the start of the Bible for you. So Genesis 1, 28 is the law of first mention around God blessing and humankind. It says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now, this has never changed. God hasn't revoked this particular blessing. He hasn't, he hasn't uh, gone out and said, you know what, I, it's actually earth getting a bit full. Uh, maybe stop being fruitful, stop multiplying. That'd be great. If you could put the brakes on, that'd be really awesome. Uh, and he's never revoked that. And so this blessing, it, it actually still stands today. Uh, if we subscribe to the idea that we are a child of God in this place, we get to uh, apply this particular blessing and go, well, God blessed humankind. I'm human. Hope you are. I'm human. Therefore, I am blessed. That was nowhere near enough amens for that. We'll unpack that a bit further. Here's the thing, right? We can stand, no matter what our situation, no matter what our circumstances, we can stand. It doesn't matter the size of your paycheck. It doesn't matter whether, whether you're getting paid uh, uh, from the government in this season of life or whether you have uh, a multiple hundred thousand dollar job com income coming. It does not matter. You are not dictated and defined by the provision that comes in. You are dictated and defined by the truth that is spoken. And the truth that is spoken is that you are blessed. You are. No buts, ifs, maybes. You can stand in any situation, hand on heart, and go, you know what? I'm blessed. 
I'm blessed. Today, I am blessed. Run at me, finances. I am blessed, right? It'll sink in in a second. We're not blessed for us. And this is the catch, right? Because we're not blessed just so we can sit around on our comfy uh, kind of lazy boy recliners and be like, oh, I'm loving my blessing. It's not, it doesn't work, right? We're blessed with a purpose. Uh, we're blessed, and Abraham unpacks this because you need to understand that this, this idea of being blessed, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't changed, it wasn't taken away, but it was uh, deepened, it was explained further. So we go, from, we go from Genesis, and then we arrive at Abraham, and this idea that humankind is blessed for a purpose begins to develop further. We're not just blessed to be fruitful and multiply, but actually God had a plan for the blessing that he put on Adam and Eve, and that was, that was to be blessed, be fruitful, fill the earth with this, this special nature. Nation, God's own nation. And so he says to Abraham now in, in Genesis 12 2, he says, I will bless you for the purpose of being a blessing. Okay, so we are blessed. Yes, awesome. We need to get that settled. Otherwise, we will not be able to function in the purpose that the blessing is supposed to provide us with. Okay, so we are blessed to be a blessing. And here's the thing Abraham's dead. Okay, it's, he's not with us anymore. So the blessing that, that was given to him, um, you need to understand, is, is now uh, on you. So now you are blessed to be a blessing. Right? It didn't just go away with Abraham. It was passed down generationally through his entire family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob kept getting the same thing. Hey, you're blessed to be a blessing. And, and as as people who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are actually called sons of Abraham. We get to apply every blessing that was put on Abraham, we get to apply that to our life as if God himself spoke it over us. And so just as God said to Abraham, you're blessed to be a blessing, he is saying now to us, you are blessed to be a blessing. You see, uh, the word that God spoke to Abraham talked about, leave your father, leave his land, and go to a land that I'm going to promise you is going to be a, an incredible land. It's going to be a beautiful land. And, and for Abraham, that was a tangible land. That was a space he was meant to move into. But for us, that's speaking of salvation. It's speaking of the promise of a wide open expanse of, of space in, in our relationship with God. It's about moving into the promised land of salvation and the relationship that we have with God in him. And so, so now... Um, not only are we called to, to leave the land we used to live in, which was our life before we met Christ, God's saying that when you move into salvation, you arrive in a blessing that I placed on Abraham. We're not supposed to move to our own promised land. The promised land for us is relationship with God. And here I was, I was thinking, of, I was preparing a message on generosity and giving and, and seeding finance into the kingdom, in the lives of people. And God just begins to unpack this foundation, this absolute base level idea that before we worry about giving, before we worry about seeding, before we worry about even being generous, we need to understand that we're blessed. We need to understand what the foundation is, what the start point is. The start point is that irrespective of anything going on in your world, you are blessed. So God started to tell me, he's like, you need, you need to unpack, you need to tell them they're already blessed. And when they understand that they're already blessed, actually the tithe becomes a response to that. 
We realize we're blessed. We're blown. Oh my goodness, I'm blessed. God bless me. That's amazing. Well, and it's like another moment where we fall even more in love with God. And so the tithe is a response of love like it's always supposed to be. Now that we're in the new covenant under grace and everything's done out of relationship, we've shifted from the law where it was a requirement. And even before that with Melchizedek, we see it's a response to the level of blessing that Abraham walked into. And so the tithe becomes a response to the recognition of blessing on our lives. So when we understand we're blessed, our response is the same as Abraham's all the way back at the start. So the tithe is about God's sovereignty, but what we give to others is about seed. I want to shift now and make a real distinction between but between the tithe, it is, it, by definition, it is 10th. And Pastor Keith talked about this first 10%. But when we talk about seed, we're talking about something else. Okay, the tithe is not an offering, it's the tithe. Uh, what, everything else that we choose to do with our money can be, can be seed. Um, there is a distinct difference, and we need to understand that. And actually, we have an opportunity in life to plant all kinds of seed. Uh, right throughout the Bible, we see all kinds of metaphorical meaning attached to to seed, it's often seed uh, can be can almost be trans, transposed or trans swapped out. I can't remember the word swapped out with with like resource. We've been given resource. What are we going to do with that resource? Okay, are, are we going to are we going to plant that resource? Are we going to are we going to use that resource wisely? And and so when it comes to our finances, we need to recognise that that actually after the tithe, what's left is in our hands to do something with. Seed is actually the vehicle that brings increase in our world. When we're planting seed, financial seed, we're actually allowed to expect a harvest of the same, what we sow, we will reap. So when we plant financial seed, not the tithe, when we plant financial seed, we're actually allowed to expect financial increase to come back into our world. Okay, no one's happy about that. It's all good. Uh, you want some scripture behind it. It's okay, I understand. Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1 says, give generously, for your gifts will return to you at a later date. We don't sow for the purpose of getting back. We get to expect the harvest. We get to have that expectation because it's, it's in line with Scripture, but it's not the reason. The reason that we choose to sow is for the purpose of blessing someone else. You see, the scripture we started with that I read out, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11, clearly speaks of return. A number of times it talks about God providing more seed, that, that all of our needs will met, and then, and then more, and then there will be more left over, that there is this idea attached to, to sowing seed as a farmer. I'm, I'm sorry if you don't define yourself as a farmer here this morning, but I'm going to do that. Uh, you are all farmers with seed in your hand, and you have the capacity to sow it, and when you sow it, every farmer knows that when they sow seed, they expect trees and those trees to hold fruit. That is a healthy expectation. If you're a farmer sowing seed not expecting a harvest, you have something wrong with your career. And I would say that if you're a Christian here and, and you tithe so that your whole financial management system comes under God, if, if you've got that in its place and then you sow seed, if you're not expecting a harvest, then there's something wrong with your idea of, as a Christian. I'm pushing some buttons this morning, I'm sorry. You see, there's a purpose for expanding. 
our increase. There's a purpose that God places on, 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 on increasing. So the reason that we can sow and the reason that we can expect a harvest, the reason the harvest comes in is, again, not really so that we can enjoy a bigger house, a bigger car, a boat, and all those things, but, but actually it's so that we can increase our capacity to be generous. If, we, if, if more seed comes in, we have more seed than to be able to sow. I love what, what Graham said. He said he realized, and, and I really want to unpack this next week, but he realized his, if by working for someone else, he had a cap on his income, which, which to him meant that, that there was a certain cap on how generous he could be. And so he wanted to place himself in a position where that cap was lifted and he was in, he was in control of the increase that was going to come to his finances so that he could see a greater opportunity and capacity to be generous. And so when we sow seed, according to scripture, we are allowed to expect a harvest. And we are allowed then to take that harvest, let it be an increase on our lives for the purpose of, of increasing our capacity to be able to seed even more in the future. It's interesting, I was thinking around this idea of sovereignty and how the tithe is sovereign, it's, 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 it's God's. And I was thinking about a, a real-world practical example of how this idea of sovereignty works and this idea of kingship. And, and you know, we don't, we don't have a king, but we have a queen, okay? Uh, some of us don't remember that, but uh, we do have a queen. And uh, at the moment, if you're Australian, if you, if you live in the country of Australia, uh, you live under the queen's domain. You live under her sovereign rule. Okay, which is where sovereignty comes. You live under that. And one of the privileges of that is you get to go to the Commonwealth Games. I had to bring it back to sport. I'm sorry, guys. Right? Like, uh, Olympics have just started. Come on. Who was watching the ice skating last night? Dreaming Stephen Bradbury again. Awesome. My wife did, my wife did not know who Stephen Bradbury was. I, I tell you. It's all right. I sorted it out. I sorted it out. But um, if you're a country and you aren't in the Commonwealth of the British Empire... You are not allowed to compete in the Commonwealth Games. You are not allowed to become a part of that privilege. The way that you do that is by moving yourself under her sovereign rule. Now in real life, real world, that's all to do with citizenship. Okay, funny that the Bible calls us citizens of heaven. But a citizen moves into the land. For us to move into the sovereign rule of God over our finances. We don't, we don't necessarily take a citizenship exam. We don't, we don't get a visa or a passport, you know, those sorts of things. No, what we do, the, the key for us to move in under the sovereign rule of God and all the benefits and all the promises and all the, the things we read in Scripture, like, like all of those Commonwealth games in Scripture, right, that, that we would love to have a part of our life is the type. That is the thing that moves us under the sovereignty of God. That is the thing that moves our financial world, sorry, our financial world under the sovereignty of God. We cannot expect the Commonwealth Games of Scripture, the blessings of you, 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 the seed coming in, the harvest, we can't expect to have those if we are not under the sovereign rule of God. And I don't mean to keep coming back to the tithe, but there's really no way to move on beyond it until we've sorted it. It's kind of like everything flows out of that. I can't teach on, hey, you're going to get a harvest from your seed and not talk about the tithe because I'm going to get a whole lot of emails in the next few months saying it doesn't work. 
And my response might be, well, did you tithe? Are you tithing? Are you doing the one thing that God tells us brings everything else under his sovereign rule? Many of us, uh, we get stuck in a lack mindset. We, we, look, we look at our provision. We look at our income coming in. And, and because it might be small, we immediately think lack. And we have immediately forgotten that foundational revelation, I'm blessed. If, if, our, if our provision coming in is small, but prior to that I know I'm blessed, I see small with potential. But the problem is that, that we see small, we forget I'm already blessed. We see small and we think lack. And so we think, well, I don't have enough, so I can't tithe. Right? We don't realize that because I'm blessed already, when I tithe, I come into all the other promises of God. We have to get out of the lack mindset and we have to live in that revelation that right at the foundation of humankind, the creation of our existence, God declared before anyone got any paycheck, before anyone had anything coming in, he said, right from this, the beginning, you're blessed. Now live everything else out of that. Respond to everything else out of that. Can I get really practical? Is that all right? Can I like, bring it right home, right into your, your kitchen table here, right where the bills sit? I don't, mine, mine don't sit there, but yours might. If we exchange the idea of seed, right, where, where, where we might say 10 seeds buys 10 apples. Can we, can we exchange this word seed to, let's, let's just actually talk about your income for a second. Is that all right? Can we do that? Let's say you get $10 coming in. That has the capacity to, to purchase or to be exchanged for 10 apples. And when we look at the amount of seed or we look at the amount of income coming in, we know we don't have enough to exchange them for all the things that we need. And so we think we're living in lack. And we don't believe that we're blessed. However, if we start with I'm blessed and realize that the idea of fruitfulness and multiplication, that, that, that initial, what was attached to the blessing in Genesis. So he said, you're blessed, be fruitful and multiply. So there is, there is fruitfulness and there is multiplication attached to the idea that we're blessed. So if I'm blessed, I have the capacity to be fruitful and multiply, right? So if I'm still blessed, I still have that capacity. And, and God didn't ref define that blessing to one small thing. No, that blessing is on every single seed. In the Garden of Eden, it was, it, he was talking about fruitful and multiply. He was talking about the seed that brings the next generation, right? But, but in, in, in the idea of blessing and, and seed is fruitful and multiply. You can't separate them all. Any seed has the capacity to be fruitful and multiply, all right? So, so right now, when we, when we know we're blessed, we also know we come with the capacity to be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, I'm still with you. So when our small income comes in and we're looking at it from I'm blessed, we look at it with that has the capacity to be fruitful and multiply. And it's only when we look at it like that, we realize that the fullness of the blessing is wrapped up in the potential of the seed. So often in Scripture, we read promises and we read truths and they sound good, but, but we know that to actually be walking in the fullness of it, it requires an action. It requires an action, right? If, uh, for instance, the promise of salvation. 
it requires an action. It sounds great, it's right in words, but, but to step into the fullness of it, it requires an action. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God is Lord. There is always an action required. Faith without works is, is dead, right? Faith, to, to move in faith is to act. And so to live in the fullness of any promise that we read in Scripture, there is an action that we do. So if we want to live in the fullness of the promise that is on this idea of being blessed, that is placed on seed, it requires an action. If we're in a classroom, I'd say hands up if you know where the action is, right? But what do we do with seed? We don't exchange it. No farmer goes and just exchanges their seed because then, then they know they've got nothing to create a harvest with. No, no, no. If we read 2 Corinthians, we realize that the purpose of seed is not to exchange. The purpose of seed is to plant. Because if we go back to our example of the, the, the $10 coming in, exchanging for 10 apples, what if the $10 came in and we saw the potential in those to be planted and to grow 10 apple trees, all of which will produce apples? Suddenly we begin to see that because I'm blessed, I have the capacity for multiplication, the capacity for fruitfulness, okay? And, and we realize the seed we've been given, however little, has the capacity to be planted. There's your action. We must plant seed to see the fullness of the blessing, to see the multiplication and the fruitfulness come back into our lives, to see the harvest come back into our lives requires the action of planting. Can I tell you something here today? Your income that comes in is seed with potential. But you have to plant it. You have to plant the seed. There is no good staring at seed and hoping it will multiply by itself. It doesn't work that way. God has instituted that we must plant seed to see fruitfulness. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to get into you know, the whole of um, the way reproduction works too much, but um, there is this idea that, that a seed needs to be planted to bring about fruitfulness and multiplication. Can I just leave it there and we all understand what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, so, so with every seed... To see the blessing in its fullness, fruitfulness, and multiplication, it, the seed needs to be planted. So, I want to put something to you, and, and this, is, this is part of what he unpacks incredibly well in his, in his book. Our income comes in. We know we're blessed. We have to look at it through that frame. Otherwise, we completely lose the potential that exists on the blessing that's given to us. So the income comes in. We know we're blessed, so we respond out of that and we tithe. What's left is seed. And I challenge you that, that if we were to take a portion of that and plant it, that we would begin to see increase in our finances, in real-world finances. God does not want his church to be limited. Remember how we started by saying money gives everything? To vision, it says, I release you. To need, it says, I can help you. Too long, the church has been afraid of using money well. Because if we do, we'll get more and then people will ask questions. Can I tell you the question that people should be asking? Can you help me? And we should be able to say, yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Because as a church, we have diligently utilized the resource that God has placed in our hands so we can see increase, so we increase our capacity to be able to do real world things in people's lives. So often, 
We want to share the gospel. I'm all for sharing the gospel. I'm here today because someone shared the gospel. But what if we could be the gospel? What if we could be the gospel? I shared a story earlier uh, on the video about how someone gave me a bass guitar. It doesn't seem like much, but when you realise that I'd, you know, I'd been a Christian for a year, and like most year old Christians, I was kind of like, this is cool, but you know, so is the world still. Like, um, and I was, I, was, I was passionate for God, but I wouldn't have said I was set. I wouldn't have said I was in. And when someone gave me that bass, it just, it, it enabled, because I was about to step out of the worship team because my bass, it was too broken. It wasn't gonna get fixed. And I knew without an instrument, I couldn't be on the team. And not that it was my only connection point to church, but it was a powerful point of input. It was a powerful point of consistency. It was a powerful place where I was consistently in relationship with Christians and consistently getting input into my life from the Word of God. And it was important for that. And the provision of of that bass guitar into my world did so much, so much for me in people without even saying words telling me that they believed in me telling me that they they wanted me around telling me that they believed that God had a plan for my life that they weren't going to let one small little issue with a resource be the thing that stopped me from living what they could see God had on my life and I tell you right there in that moment they were more of the gospel the gospel was more real in what they did than, what, what, than anything that I understood of the gospel, than any conversation I'd had with someone. And I was, I was talking, is it all right if I share one more story? I was talking to my, uh, you didn't respond, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna keep going. Um, I'll get you guys responsive one way or another. I was talking to my school chaplain, who's a really, really good friend of mine. And uh, as a part of our school, we, we put on a, a schoolies mission trip uh, where you can choose to, to go on mission to Nepal uh, during the, the time frame where um, celebrating finishing school and things like that. And so he took a particular team away to Nepal at the end of the year. And uh, one particular day on, on this time, this trip in Nepal with these kids, they were passing through this particular kind of like a big sort of interchange area, very touristy, lots of people moving and going places. And um, a guy approached him, so, 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 can I shine your shoes? Can I shine your shoes? And uh, my friend is, you know, as, as many of us would be, you're a little bit skeptical in those situations, okay? And, um, but at the same time, you know you're on a mission trip, so you're kind of like on purpose, you know, like, so you don't want to just bar everyone. Um, and so he's like, look, I've I, I got to go somewhere, but if, if you're here when I get back, you can shine my shoes. It's not a problem. So he went and did, I, I can't remember exactly what it was that he had to go and do. I think he was taking some students somewhere. Um, on the way back, though, the, the, the man was still there. And I was like, sir, can I shine your shoes? And um, my friend Matt was like, yep, all right, yep, you can, you can shine my shoes, you know, blah, blah. And, and so this guy kind of took him down around the corner, down this side alley, and, and my friend's like starting to freak out, like, oh no, what's about to happen? Uh, I'm about to get mugged. But um, guy begins to, you know, um, he's got these two little tins of, of polish. One's black, one's red. And uh, my friend had this, this kind of pair of dark sort of burgundy leather shoes. And uh, the, the guy begins to mix the perfect color of 
uh, polish in, in the palm of his hand. And uh, I, you know, that's kind of kind of skillful. Uh, and so it kind of prompted my friend on a mission trip, so looking for conversation, looking for opportunity to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. He just kind of says, hey, you know, what, what are you doing here? How would you get into the shoe shining business? Um, and he goes, oh, look, I'm actually not from Nepal. I'm from northern India, and uh, my family's there. I got a wife and, and, and two daughters, and, um, I, 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 you know, the, the particular class system that he was in in, in India, uh, he was only allowed to work with, with leather. Uh, and so he's fourth-generation shoe shiner. Um, his, his great granddad and, and granddad and, and dad, they were all shoe shiners because I, you know, I, I don't understand a lot about the class system, but I know you can't get out of the one you're in, essentially, in those nations. And, and, and so that's like, oh, well, you know, what, what brought you to Nepal if, if your family's all the way over in, in northern India? And story goes that he was, he was shining shoes one day and, and some people said to him, hey, you know what? You would make a, a lot of money shining shoes in, in, in Kathmandu in Nepal. And um, the guy was like, really? You know? uh, and, and they were like, yeah, yeah, you should come over. And so, so he packed up his suitcase of, of shoe shiny equipment, all this incredible equipment that had been passed down generations, and went over, took, took I guess, a bus ride, train ride over to Nepal. And the first day he arrived in Nepal, his whole suitcase got stolen. And uh, all that he was left with was with these two tins of polish. And... Uh, you know, you never know in those situations whether someone's got a really great sob story for you, you know, to try to get some money. But my friend just began to talk to him about his family. And uh, it turns out the guy was just trying to make enough money to get home. Uh, he kind of lost everything and he just wanted to get back to his family. And, and in that moment, my friend just said, how much is it to get home? And uh, it was the equivalent of about $40 Australian. Uh, $40 to reunite this man with his family. You see, you've got to understand the implications of, of a mum and two girls in, in northern India. Uh, no provider, no protector. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're basically they're begging and, and you know, the, the journey from there onwards is, is not a good one. Um, and with $40, he said to me, he goes, I actually don't know how much I gave him. I think I gave him about 200 to get a meal. You know, um, and uh, the guy was blown away, com- com- just couldn't, couldn't believe the generosity. And uh, the guy said, look, 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 I'd love to, can I contact you somehow to, to, to let you know when I get home? And uh, my, my friend gave him an email and expecting to totally get scammed or something. But at the same time, just being like, you know what, I, have, I, really, I really have no reason not to, to do this. And came home and um, he was actually sharing at our staff devotions in our PD week in January and he said, you know what, this morning this morning I got an email Um, it gets me emotional every time it was a photo of this man reunited with his family and I think, you know what so often we're looking for the conversation when actually that act of generosity spoke so much more into that man's situation, spoke so much more into that man's need. And uh, they're, they're having conversations back and forward and, and you know, there's a slim opportunity that um, my friend who, who also is involved in um, Transform the Nations, an organisation that works overseas, 
they have some schools in northern India, Christian schools, and there's a slim chance that um, might be able to get the, the two daughters into these Christian schools. How often do we look to share the gospel and miss the opportunity that is in generosity that's going to open the door for people to encounter God? And I think, you know what? Maybe $40 was a lot for him with his income. But what if it wasn't? What if, what if, I asked him, actually, I, asked, I, I sat him down, I said, listen, I really want to share your story and my message, and, and can I just record it so I kind of get the details? And I, I recorded it, and I asked him, I said, how many, how many shoe shiners are there, like, just, you know, around that area in Nepal? And he's like, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple, like, hundred or something. And I thought, you know what? Our income sometimes limits us to only being able to help one. $40, massive part of my income, maybe. I don't know for you. What if it wasn't? What if, what if we could apply the principles we hear in Scripture? Take the first tenth, tithe it. Maybe commit to taking the second tenth and sowing it. Because the Bible tells us what we sow, we can expect to reap. When we sow, we can expect that God is going to give us more seed more seed to sow. What if, what if $40 suddenly became not much? What if we had the capacity to give uh, $4,000 and that wasn't a lot and all the shoe shiners in Nepal, we were able to give $40 to go wherever they needed to go. They don't all need to go home to their families, but it's the potential that is locked in the seed that we have. But unless we understand we're blessed before the amount comes in, Sometimes we see the amount is not enough. Can I tell you this morning, the amount is always enough. The amount is always enough. It is always enough. You have enough right now to tithe and to seed, even if all you seed is $1. You might sow seed, small seed, but you will reap a small harvest. Too often we see that verse as a negative. But what if you only have small seed? you still are going to reap a small harvest. The harvest still comes in when we sow the seed. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.